Hello and welcome back to another episode of Bite Size Cinema. I'm your host RJ McCready and for this episode we're going to be taking you guys back to the year in 1981 to look at John Carpenter's action-adventure sci-fi movie Escape from New York. So let's play a trailer, let's jump on the helicopter, let's go to Liberty Island and I'll see you guys soon. New York, 1997. The entire city is a walled maximum security prison. The bridges are mined. The rivers are patrolled. And the United States police force has everything under control, they think. Carpenter's Escape from New York, the high adventure of the future. One man must go in where no man has ever gotten out. And if he comes back alone, his nightmare has just begun. Who are you? John Carpenter's Escape from New York. Heard you were dead. John Carpenter's Escape from New York, the greatest escape of them all, is about to blow the future apart. And welcome back guys. So the synopsis for this film is, it's 1997 when the US president crashes into Manhattan, now a giant maximum security prison. A convicted bank robber is sent in to rescue him. It's got a 99 minute runtime, it's an R-rated movie, and it's an action-adventure sci-fi film. So let's have a look at the origins of Escape from New York, and um, let's have a chat about where it all started from. So going back to the early 70s, John Carpenter made a little movie called Dark Star as a project whilst he was at university studying filmmaking. And after many hours of hard work and every buck he put on the table to try and make Dark Star, he managed to get it released through a studio, but unfortunately it didn't do very well at the box office and it suffered um, quite poorly with the critics as well. But what Dark Star did do was get John Carpenter on the first run of the ladder and he got a job in writing movie scripts and screenplays. And one of these screenplays and movie scripts was Escape from New York, which he wrote in the early 70s. So whilst he was knuckling down writing screenplays and writing scripts, he was offered a big break by a couple of Hollywood film producers who saw talent in John Carpenter and said, we will give you $100,000 to go and make a movie, any movie you want, but we won't give you one penny more. And as a result of this, John Carpenter directed Assault on Precinct 13, which went on to become a financial success, not only in the US, but it did quite well in Europe. So then after the success of Assault on Precinct 13, John Carpenter went on to go and make a movie about the babysitter murders, which turned out to be Halloween, which turned out to be a major global success at the box office and is one of the most successful films in movie history, next to The Blair Witch Project, and I think it made $75 million internationally from a $100,000 budget, so John Carpenter all of a sudden became hot property in Hollywood. 
It was then approached by Avco Embassy, which I've mentioned before in previous episodes, and they are an independent film company. And they offered John Carpenter a two-picture deal, and one of these films was The Fog, which again did really well at the box office, so John Carpenter at this point couldn't do anything wrong. He had gone from a guy that made a flop with Dark Star to a screenwriter to now a big director in the um, late 70s. So with his final contract with Avco Embassy, they approached him to make a film called The Philadelphia Experiment. And Jason had a look at the script and he said, yep, it's a good film, but it's got no final act and I'm not really interested. But I do, however, have this script on the shelf collecting dust, which is about an escape movie in the future. And it is a little movie called Escape from New York. So with three successful movies in the bag with Hollywood, Avco Embassy decided to greenlight Escape from New York and they gave John Carpenter $5 million to go and make this movie. And the other good thing about this is that they actually gave him the money and gave him pretty much free reign to go and make the film. And at this time of JC's career, not only did he have the backing of a studio and five million bucks in, in his pocket to go and make this film, he also had an awful lot of talent surrounded him as well with um, the likes of Deborah Hill, uh, Dean Cundy who's the cinematographer and Nick Castle who is one of his best mates and he also played The Shape or Michael Myers in Halloween movie. But it's important to mention him as well because he had a look at the Escape from New York script and he added a little bit more flavour and a bit of comedy to it and he just spiced it up a little bit. So these are all uh, John Carpenter royalty right here. Um, and I consider these guys as the backbone to uh, some of John Carpenter's greatest work which he had in the late 70s and early 80s um, which are pretty much blueprints to cinema now. So with John Carpenter backed up by an incredible production team, he then went on to go and find a cast for this movie. And this movie does have a brilliant cast, starting with Kurt Russell, the legendary Kurt Russell, who has become John Carpenter's right-hand man in these films. Um, who would later go on to make uh, the cult classic The Thing from 1982, and the action-adventure kung fu comedy movie Big Trouble in Little China. But Kurt Russell is not the first choice to play Snake Plissken in this movie. Um, you had Tommy Lee Jones and Charles Bronson, who the studios thought would suit this role better, but John Carpenter saw something in Kurt Russell. Um, he previously done a TV mo movie called Elvis, and they got on really well together. So John Carpenter gave Kurt Russell the break that he wanted to try and shake off that sort of Disney movie thing that he was carrying around with him, which wasn't a bad thing. But he just felt like he wanted to move on in his career as an actor and sort of play this leading man action hero role, which boy paid off because I can't really see anybody else play um, Snake Plissken now. And Kurt Russell has said that uh, Snake Plissken is his favourite character. Out of all the movies that he's made and all the characters he's played, he said that um, Snake Plissken is his favourite character to play. And then the other actors in this film, you've got the legendary Lee Van Cleef from the uh, Sergio Leone Spaghetti Western movies. You've got Ernest Borgnine, who is another legendary actor of Hollywood. You've got um, Isaac Hayes, who plays an incredible job as the Duke in this movie. Donald Pleasance, who plays the President. Uh, Harry Dean Stanton as Brain. Uh, you've got more John Carpenter royalty here being Adrian Barbeau, who is previously in The Fog, and she plays Maggie. And Adrian was also John Carpenter's wife at the time. 
And you've got the legendary Tom Atkins in this movie, he was also in The Fog. And the bit of trivia here is that uh, Tom Atkins and Adrian Barbeau were both in The Fog together. And escaped from New York, but both their characters do not be- meet in both movies. So it's just a little bit of trivia there. And you also got a guy called Frank Doubleday, and he appeared in Assault on Precinct 13, and he's the guy that killed the little girl in that movie, so... He makes another appearance in here, and he's actually called Romero, and that is after George A. Romero, so John Carpenter has given another shout-out to one of his buddies in the horror world. And you also got a guy called John Strobel, who plays a character called Cronenberg, and that's another shout-out to David Cronenberg. So, JC, Cronenberg, Romero, they're all mates, all making horror movies, and they're all in their sort of golden age here, so it's... um. It's good to see those little Easter eggs in these movies. And there's one more actor I'd like to mention who is John Carpenter Royalty and that is the actor Charles Cyphers and he also turned up in The Fog and Assault on Precinct 13 so he does a great job in this movie as the Secretary of State. So there you go, that's a cast, it's a solid cast and is one of the many building blocks of this film. So there's the cast and crew, so let's have a talk about the film location. So there's only a small part that was actually filmed in New York and that was the Liberty Island scene. So they do like a flyover scene of the Statue of Liberty. And again there's some very careful editing there from Dean Cundy who manages to make it look like you go from Liberty Island to the um, Manhattan, like the security scene with all the security guards. So some really good um, film editing there. But the actual film itself was uh, filmed in St. Louis. Uh, John Carpenter managed to get a location in St. Louis that had burnt down in the 70s. So the actual site itself looked like, looked like a dilapidated city. Which re- works really well in this film. And then he managed to get a aeroplane shipped in from a broker's yard. And when you look at the documentary, I don't really think they had any permits for that. I think they just brought it in, filmed it. And then got the plane back out again. So this is real proper sort of gorilla filmmaking from John Carpenter. And because there's such a vast amount of this dilapidated city in the streets go on and on, you get some really good uh, camera angles from the cinematography from Dean Cundy that makes this film then look like a big budget movie, um, which is actually a small budget film. So it's some really clever stuff there from uh, Dean Cundy. And the more times I watch this film, the more the more I appreciate these camera shots as well. And, you, and the film's generally got that real sort of comic book vibe to it. There's a real sort of neon, dirty, um, sort of nighttime vibe to it. And again, as I mentioned, it's just, it just feels like you're watching a, a, it's like a comic book as such. And there's a good bit of trivia here where Kurt Russell was walking around as Snake Plissken with his eye patch and he had his Mac 10 assault rifle. And he came across a gang, a real-life gang that saw him and apparently just run off because they thought, oh my god, this who's this badass? So, that is a great bit of trivia and I really like to think that happened as well. So, it's brilliant. And then on top of that, on top of the set location, the cast and everything I've just talked about, you've then got the fantastic soundtrack by John Carpenter who famously does his own tracks for his own movies and the film score to this just goes incredibly well it's got that real sort of menacing tone to it and i think when you look at the notes to this um, score it's very basic um there's only a couple of notes on it but it's a real effective score um 
And one more thing I'd like to mention is that artwork for the poster. It's incredible. I remember seeing it as a kid in the VHS store and I was blown away by it. And you don't actually get to see that scene. But it's a poster that tells you everything about this film and that scene on the poster is eventually used but not until later on in a little film called Cloverfield by J.J. Abrahams which is a found footage uh, monster movie and you get that scene where the Statue of Liberty's head gets pounded off and it gets rolled into the streets of um, New York so it does turn up eventually and I wonder how many people watched that film and thought oh look that's the uh, front cover to Escape from New York so there you go there's a little bit of an easter egg there so let's have a look at this film then. So it starts off with John Carpenter's iconic soundtrack and you've got the title sequence where it goes John Carpenter's Escape from New York. And what you've got here is an introduction which is voiced by Jamie Lee Curtis. And she tells us about the crime rate in the United States it has gone up by 400% over the years, particularly in 1988. And by 1997, the Manhattan Island in New York City has turned into a maximum security prison where all these scumbags have all gone into and no one goes in and no one goes out. So there you go, that's the whole sort of building block of this movie all into the first couple of minutes of this film. And then you've got a scene where you've got two prisoners that are trying to escape and they get blown up by a helicopter. So that kind of tells you the sort of seriousness of the security state and what they will do if you try and escape. And then in the rest of the world, you've got NATO that is engaged in an escalating war with the Soviet Union across much of Europe and which threatens to become a nuclear holocaust. So whilst travelling to a peace summit you've got Air Force One which is hijacked by a domestic uh, terrorist outfit and one of the terrorists who's dressed up as a flight attendant has taken over the plane and crashes it into New York City but before this happens you've got Donald Pleasance as the president who manages to escape and on his possession he has a very important tape which um, describes nuclear fusion being described to use as electricity and he intends to use it as a peace offering for the Russians so that is kind of like the sort of subplot of the story. You then got a scene where you now meet Bob Hulk and his crew of security and they land in the city streets of New York and they meet up with Isaac Hayes right hand man Romero who turns up and he's got the president's finger in a little bit of handkerchief and he says that if you guys don't leave we're going to kill the president. So it gives them 10 seconds and then you've got Lee Van Cleef's Bob Hulk. He gets back into the helicopters and he leaves. And whilst all this is happening, the legendary Snake Plissken has just been arrested for robbing the Federal Reserve Bank. And he turns up in the bus. And his backstory is that he is an ex-war hero. He's got the Medal of Honor. He's got every citation, Purple Hearts, the lot. He's the man that you go to go and save the day, but he has now become a criminal because he has had enough of the government. So he is a anti-hero. But this uh, eye patch wearing leather jacket, combat trousers, the lot. Anti-hero is Bob Hulk's only hope. So now you get a scene with Bob Hulk and Snake Plissken sitting at the desk opposite each other. And what you've got here is a really great scene, great introduction. Uh, it tells you everything about Snake. He really doesn't give a damn about Bob Hulk and his president and he comes out and he says well go and get yourself another president I don't really care where well, he's very casually smoking a cigarette 
But what you've got here is you've got two guys on opposite ends of the spectrum, but they are the same guy. Bob Hulk is as much Snake Plissken as Snake Plissken is Bob Hulk. They've just both chosen different paths, and Snake has just had enough of the organisation. So, But with the offer of a full pardon, Snake Plissken decides to go and rescue the president, and you get a great scene here where he's showing the an assortment of different gadgets, guns, weapons, flying stars and a bracelet where if he pushes a button it gives him 15 minutes of location. And this is all introduced by the legendary Tom Atkins. And you even get a little weeny smile, or a little glimmer of a smile from Snake Bliskin when he's looking at all these weapons, he's almost laughing at himself. Snake is then told that going into New York City um, he needs to be injected with some antibodies and he gets injected in the neck but then he gets double crossed and he's told that those what's been injected into his neck is little capsules that are just disintegrating and then within 24 hours they're going to dissolve and they're going to blow up and they're going to kill you if you don't get back so Snake at this time has got no choice but then he's told Bob Hulk that when he gets back he's going to kill him which uh, at this point strengthens the reason why Snake Plissken has got no time for the government or authority. Snake then uses a stealth glider to land atop of the World Trade Center and he follows the tracking bracelet to a theater only to find it on the wrist of an insane old man. He's then convinced that the president is dead and he calls up Bob Hulk and says that's it, game over, he's dead. But then Bob Hulk tells him that if you come out empty handed I'm going to kill you. So now you've got Snake wandering the streets of New York and he comes across some underground dwellers called the Crazies where he's got to try and get away from them. You get a pretty cool scene where he's running through a building and uses Mac 10 to try and blast through a wall. And then eventually he comes across uh, an old cabbie which is Ernest Borgnine and he tells Snake that uh, the president is alive and he has been captured by the Duke of New York. And Snake says, oh well, I want to meet this Duke. And Cabby says, well, the best way to meet him is through a guy called Brain, who's kind of like the Duke's right-hand man for facilitating fuel and things like that. So this is where he goes and meets Maggie and Brain, who is played by uh, Harry Dean Stanton and Adrian Barbeau. And then whilst the uh, Cabby's driving Snake Plissken about, you get a great line here where this boy guy comes out and says, Oh, Snake Plissken in my cab. Wait till I tell Eddie. And that's the thing with Snake. In that he, everybody seems to know who he is and everybody thinks he was a little bit taller. So it's kind of like a rugged running gag throughout the film. So he eventually meets Brain and it turns out that him and Snake Plissken both have a little bit of history in the past um, back in the army. And again, just to solid up uh, Snake Plissken's characters in, in this movie is that Brain's another bloke that double-crossed Snake Plissken, so is it ever wonder that he's turned out the way he has? But anyway, Snake doesn't have time for that. He says, oh, I need to meet this Duke. I want you to go and lead him to me. And they go to Duke's compound at the Grand Central Terminal. And here you get a scene where Snake has a fight with uh, the Duke's henchman and he manages to rescue the president. But then getting a bow and arrow in his leg, he eventually gets captured by the Duke. And you get a scene here where the Duke goes, Snake Plissken, I thought you was dead. Yeah, it's a pretty cool scene. And then Snake gets knocked out, only eventually to wake up and find himself walking into a deathmatch where he has to fight a character called Slag, which is played by Ox Baker. And it's one of the highlights of the film. It's a great scene. It's where you get Snake Plissken in the ring and he's fighting Slag. 
And you've got a fight scene here which I would say is worthy of an 8-bit video game back in the day, something like Double Dragon or the Final Fight where Snake is getting battered and blown and to the point where you don't think he's going to make it but then the audience throw in some clubs with some nails on it and he ends up chucking this club through the stomach of Slag and then eventually into his the back of his head. So Snake comes out victorious and then in the crowd he finds one of the guys with the locating tracking device on his wrist and he punches it so it enables the security guys to come in on a sort of rescue attempt. And whilst all this is happening, Brain manages to kill Romero by double crossing him and he manages to retrieve the cassette tape and rescue the president. And he tries to get away with um, Maggie, they go to the World Trade Center to try and get away on the glider but that gets destroyed and they come back down to street level and at this time Cabby along with the president and Snake Pliskin um, they all get into the cab and they make a final attempt to get off the island by driving across the bridge and whilst in the cab Snake Pliskin takes the uh, cassette tape off from Brain and keeps it for himself so in the final act of this film you've now got a pursuit between Cabby uh, Snake Pliskin and Isaac Hayes as the Duke and he is following them across the bridge and he's got an assortment of weapons and he's trying to shoot them down and along the way this sets off the mines on the bridge and Brain tries to guide Cabby but then he gets blown up himself and then you've got Maggie who refuses to leave him and then she kind of goes out in like a I guess a blaze of glory where she, she stands there and tries to shoot the Duke but then she gets knocked over and killed herself so after Cabby is killed by a mine, now you're left with is Snake and the President and Snake manages to get to the wall and the guards at the top of the wall raise the President on a line and Snake Pliskin is trying to sort of fend off the Duke and as, he's try as Snake is trying to get up the line he's getting shot at by the Duke and the President with an assault rifle kills the Duke by slotting him several times with rounds. So with the rescue mission a success, the president offers Snake anything that he wants and all Snake asks him is how did he feel about killing the Duke? To which the president offers only a half-hearted empty reply to that question and Snake just walks off in disgust and as he's walking off he walks past Bob Hulk and Bob says hey Snake and then Snake turns around and goes call me Pliskin. And then Bob says, you know, we make a hell of a team, why don't we team up? And then Snake goes, nope. And he just walks away and Snake Pliskin walks away by having the last laugh by shredding up the president's precious little tape that he wanted because he's saying, well, I'm going to stick two fingers up at you because the amount of people that died over this, up yours. So there you go, that is it. That is Escape from New York. That's uh, my bite-sized review on John Carpenter's classic, which did... Um, it followed a sequel which I, I didn't really enjoy if I'm honest with you it didn't it's not as good as the first one um, there was a Luke Besson movie that came out which he kind of got in trouble for called Lockout with uh, Guy Pearce and he did a pretty good job and it's the sort of unofficial Escape from New York movie which is uh, kind of like a sort of Escape from Earth movie which uh, John Carpenter has been talking about but um, this is the go-to um, escape movie for me so uh, if you haven't seen it check it out if you have seen it I always say this hopefully you're a fan like me I'm sure you are and um, 
There's one other thing I need to mention here as well, is there is a computer game character called Solid Snake, and this is uh, the computer game company have said that this movie is a massive influence on that character, and he's kind of like plays homage to that, so I thought I'd mention that, so um, it's a pretty cool game. And that is it guys, that is uh, my roundup of Escape from New York, and I will be back soon for another episode. And the next episode I'm going to be doing is a Water Hill movie called Trespass. It's a little bit of an underrated movie. It's a treasure hunt movie, gangster movie, action. Um, so I'll be coming back for that one soon. So look out for that. And a little bit of show admin. Um, I'm a proud member of the Legion Podcast Network. So go, please go and check out all the other shows. I will play a promo at the end of this episode. And you can also find my show on iTunes and... YouTube and the Legion Podcast Network is on there, so go check that out and go check out my Facebook page. We're having a lot of fun on there, lots of comments, lots of people posting stuff. So put anything on there. If there's any films that you want me to go check out, put it on there. So I'll be happy to have a look at it. So that's it, guys. Um, like I say, hope you enjoyed the show. I'll be back soon. Keep it bite size, keep it safe, and I'll see you soon. then make sure you check out the other great shows on the legion podcast network like cinema psyops cinema beef devour the podcast duncan and Bo come correct exploding heads horror movie podcast friday the 13th get slayed the hell Ming power hour hello this is the doom show hero hero ghost show kill the cast underwater kaiju from outer space jerry hates action legion after dark mental health obsessive cinema discourse Pick Six Movies, The Podcast by the Cemetery, The Podcast on Haunted Hill, The Psycho-Semantic Podcast, Rick Radio, House of Wax, Dude Looks Like the 80s, Rabbit and Red Radio, The Shadecast, Short Bus Cinema, Two Drink Minimum Commentaries, The VD Clinic, Who Will Survive Horror Podcast, and Which Versus the Doomsday Clock. With such a widespread of shows, there is guaranteed to be a niche for you to fall in love with. Horror, politics, movies, books, sex, music, commentaries, health, video games, kaiju, action, news, comedy, and opinions that would most likely get you killed in some parts of the world. We are proud to bring you some of the best podcasting in the world. Check us out at www.legionpodcast.com, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, and any other dark corner of the internet where podcasts can be found.